Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Church, we're going to get straight into it this morning. We are on week two of our Creeds series. Um, and last week, Pastor Ben spoke on Pentecost Sunday, um, which is... It was a beautiful message and reminding us that just as Christ was born into this world and he died unto this world and resurrected in this world, that we get to celebrate Pentecost in the same celebration manner. So that we should come every year excited to celebrate the fact that Jesus didn't just ascend into heaven and leave us with nothing. He left us with everything. And so we're going to be carrying on from Pentecost Sunday. It's quite funny because today on the religious calendar today is actually called trinity sunday and being the creeds we are speaking to the trinity which i'll talk to in a second but it's it's going to be a good day we're going to speak specifically following on from pentecost sunday about the nature and the person of the holy spirit and who is the holy spirit um so week two Let's get into it. The Trinity, the Trinity is something we need to understand before we start talking about the three persons of God. So the Trinity literally means tri-unity. It is the Godhead. It is the three-in-one nature of who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when we speak of the Father, we speak of the Son and the Holy Spirit. When we speak of the Son, we speak of the Father and the Holy Spirit. When we speak of the Holy Spirit, we speak of the Father and the Son because they are in eternal unity with each other. And so we're going to be spending a little bit of time understanding who we speak of when we speak of the Holy Spirit. Now, why do we need to understand um, this? Because we need to understand who we bring our praise and worship to. We need to understand who we are actually exalting in our life. And so that's why we're speaking about the Trinity. You need to know as believers who you worship in the tri-unity of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Nicene Creed that Pastor Ben quoted last week says this, and it, pre- it provides like foundational knowledge of who God is. You got to understand, like, this is not just a traditional landmark for the sake of traditional task. Tradition is beautiful. It's the collective memory of men and women who have searched out and found God through scripture across many generations. So when you hear the word tradition, a lot of people can be like, ew, yucky. But I'm like, tradition's beautiful. It's the collective memory of what we believe about God. And so we're going to speak a little bit about tradition. In the the Nicene Creed, it says this regarding the Holy Spirit, and this is what we declare. So you need to understand what we declare. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. So, Father God, we give you praise completely as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to soften our hearts, to hear your word as to how you reveal yourself to us. We pray that we would hear clearly, Lord God, who it is that we worship and that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name. Okay, we're going to do a couple of points. Are you ready? Point one. I never do that. Point one. The Holy Spirit is God. This is very important to affirm in our minds because a lot of people can, if not careful, in their Christian experience, see the Holy Spirit as lesser than the Father and the Son. 
The term Trinity, like we said, speaks to the unity of Father, Son, and Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, we need to understand, is God and is present in unity in key Trinitarian experiences in Scripture. So I'm going to give you a couple of Scriptures where we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work in unity so that we can fully understand and personalize that the Holy Spirit is God. We see in creation, in Genesis 1, verse 1 to 2, it says this, "...in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth." Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then in John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that light was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. These two scriptures reveal to us the image of the Trinity when it comes to the creation story. We see Father, Son, and Spirit in unity when it comes to creation. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit relate to humanity in many different ways. First and foremost, we must know that it is being, with, is being one with God as evidenced in the creation story. The word used in, in scripture is the Greek word pneuma, or the Hebrew word ruach, and it means breath or spirit. Um, and it's been expressed in Scripture at times by a wind or, or a breath or life-giving power of God and wisdom. Based upon studies we, by incredible men and women, we can actually see that this word used in the creation story pertains to the Pentecost moment we find in Acts 2. So we know that the Holy Spirit that came and dwelt, comes and dwells among us and in us because of Pentecost, was the same spirit that brought creation, that gave life to creation. Not only is the Holy Spirit in unity with the Godhead revealed to us in creation, but his presence is also affirmed in the mission of God across the course of time through stories such as Moses and the burning bush experience. We see God's holy presence come to Moses in that experience. Also in Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt, he ta- the Holy Spirit takes on the nature of a, of a pillar of smoke and fire and leads the Israelites out of Egypt. Also by coming upon and empowering the judges to lead Israel and guide the Israelites. David himself quotes, please do not take your Holy Spirit from me. It's incredibly important for us to know that the Holy Spirit, even though expresses himself through nature, is not bound by nature. He is the creator of all nature. So when we speak of the Holy Spirit, we don't speak of him in chains to breath and wind and all these things. He is the cause and effect of all those things. He is the one that created all those things. So we need to understand in our speaking of who God is, God the Holy Spirit, he is not bound by his creation. He chooses to step into his creation for what? Our sake. For our sake. We see the ever active and eternal nature of the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture, even before the incarnation of Christ. The Holy Spirit, therefore, was not created for Pentecost, but was awaiting the day of Pentecost, which needed to come after Christ's victory over our sin. 
We see in, in another experience of the Trinity, of this unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the baptism of Christ. And it's, it's honestly such a powerful scripture when you fully understand what's going on. We see this correlation, uh, this work attributed to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament language uh, and in the Old Testament language. In the fullness of scripture, we can see the before and the after new covenant, a clearer picture of who the Holy Spirit is. In Matthew, Matthew 3, verse 16 and 7, we see the baptism of Christ, and it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At, the, at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. This is an incredibly powerful scripture regarding the unity of God. We see Father, Son, and Spirit in perfect unity in preparation for the work of our and the world's salvation. The unity of the Godhead here on earth for our sake. That's an incredible, amazing, powerful picture that we get to experience in our here now. It was for the sake of you and me, church. See, God didn't create us because he was lonely. God didn't need us for relationships, for relationships' sake. See, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are relationship. They are relationship in their nature. So God wasn't hanging up by himself in eternity going, I need someone to hang out with. No, he is eternal relationship within himself and invites us into that eternal relationship. When we understand this, we're able to see the incredible grace exhibited in the baptism of Christ. Christ's baptism is the grace of the Trinity to us. Pastor Ben spoke last week about this uh, presbyter called Arius, and uh, we hear about the Arian heresy, where basically, to sum it up, it was, it was saying that the Father is eternal, but Holy Spirit and the Son were created beings. And in response to this heresy regarding the Holy Spirit being created, we see from Basil of Caesarea, he says this regarding the baptism. It's incredible. Take note. As we are baptized, so we believe. As we believe, so also we give praise. Baptism has been given to us by our Savior into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we present our confession of faith in accordance with our baptism and our offering of praise in accordance with our faith. We glorify the Holy Spirit together with the Father and the Son in the conviction that the Holy Spirit is not alien to the divine nature. For that which is alien by nature does not share in the same honors. What he's saying here is that the Holy Spirit is a part of the triune God. He is, a, he is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Therefore, the Holy Spirit, we must declare, is a part of our faith. And in declaring that he's a part of our faith and what we believe, we actually give praise to the Holy Spirit. We actually give glory to the Holy Spirit. The baptism of Christ affirms that the Holy Spirit is God and it's therefore worthy of our worship and praise. Unfortunately, many people have a fractured relationship with regard to the Trinity in their neglect of understanding that the Holy Spirit is God and being worthy of worship. Many people, whether consciously or subconsciously, have equated the Holy Spirit to a force 
or an ambience or something that makes our worship good, something that empowers our worship to be something, not a person. I'm like, hang on a second. Yes, the Holy Spirit moves in our worship, but we need to acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is worthy of our worship and therefore is God. Why do we find it hard to personalize the Holy Spirit when it comes to giving praise and worship? You know, language is an important thing. And the Father and the Son, we understand that language. It's relatable. You can see in the world, across all cultures, all nations, a Father and a Son. The word Spirit, however, means many different things to many different cultures, which is why it's so important that we speak rightly of who the Holy Spirit is. That we as a church actually communicate a clear message of the personal nature of the Holy Spirit. We need to be very well aware that he is God. We need to communicate that he is worthy of our worship. We must not view the Holy Spirit as purely an experience or a force rather than a person of the Trinity deserving of our worship and adoration. When the Holy Spirit becomes an amplification of our worship rather than deserving of it, we are at risk of creating an idol of our worship experience. Church, we need to understand this as people who love being in worship and we are Pentecostal to the full. We need to understand that if we see the Holy Spirit purely as a force and purely as amplification of what we're doing and not as a person of the Godhead, we are making our worship an idol. We are making our experience an idol rather than actually glorifying the Holy Spirit who then steps into this space where we are drawing near to him and does what he wants to do. In our worship experience, what are you pursuing? What do we pursue in our worship experience? Is it the person of the Holy Spirit or is it all the knickknacks that come with him? We've got to be so careful when it comes to our adoration and our praise and our worship. It was written out through all of Israel's history, this thing of idol worship. It could be anything. And as Pentecostals, as people who are passionate in praise, as a creative church, we need to make sure that when we bring praise, we are not bringing praise as an idol, but we are being praise to the one who is the Lord Most High. That is the Holy Spirit. That is the Father. That is the Son. That is the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. We're going to have a look at a little journey from Old Testament to New Testament regarding the presence of God. It's important that you understand this. It gives us context for for our here now. The Holy Spirit is God in us. You know, the, the, the temple that was seen throughout the Old Testament was incredible. The first temple... Could be, could be the garden temple. Many people would see the Garden of Eden as, as a temple. And we see what happens in the garden reflected throughout Israel's history when it comes to constructing temples uh, for God. But the first one was this garden temple. It was this creation. Why? Because the temple was actually a place where God would come and dwell with us, that God would come and abide with us, that God would walk with his people. And in Genesis, we see the majesty of creation. We see light, like the great northern lights that we have here in Canada, and God created it, and he, and he breathed, and there you are, the northern lights. And then we see the sky, like the open skies that you see in Calgary. Then we see the land and the sea, like that sea to sky highway from North Shore all up to Whistler and our beautiful way to Squamish. We see how the land kisses the ocean and God breathed and it happened. 
We see vegetation like the Australian gum tree that just puts this beautiful eucalyptus smell in the air. You see the sun and the moon, whether it's weather by a summer sun warming your skin on a Hawaiian beach or whether it's the dark mystery night with the moon shining. And then we see birds and sea creatures, the incredible hummingbird or the blobfish. Google that one. Or the majesty of the great barrier reef and God breathed, his spirit breathed and there was life. And then we see the land creatures like the two meter high moose that runs up to 56 kilometers or the sleepy sloth that literally doesn't do much. And then we see mankind, like we see the smile of Rachel Grills or the warmth of Leiden's integrous character or the comforting, squeezing hug of Holly Snowden or the cackle of Henry's laugh or or the all-embracing welcome of Gus and Carla and the quiet care of Cake and Tea of Robert and Sarah and the strength and discipline of Christy and the accompanied by the ease and fortitude of Andy and God breathed and his spirit breathed and he dwelt amongst us. The garden temple, Eden, was the, was the first place where God were, walked with his people. Fast forward past the fall, sin enters the world, and we see Moses and the Israelites fleeing Egypt in Exodus. And in Exodus 25 verse 8, it says, God says to Moses, then, then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. See, the tabernacle was extravagant. In comparison to creation, it was a mere shadow, yet extravagant and detailed. This was God designed. It says, I will design this. And the Holy Spirit empowered the construction of the tabernacle. So that why? So that Israel would never be separated from God's presence. And this was a mobile and present dwelling. In Exodus 35, we read how God filled these craftsmen with the Spirit of God to create and to teach. And we see the Spirit of God still making room, still making room for what? For us to be able to be in the presence of the Holy of Holies. God invites us to be a part of the redemption creation process. Why? So that we could not be without him ever. The whole reason we have this, these passages in scripture about the extravagance of the temple and the detail is God's inviting us into the place where he wants to dwell with us even though sin has come and invaded the world. He's making room for us to be a part of that story straight away. And it's incredible when we see how the Holy Spirit empowers those to build this temple so that Israel would never be separated from God's presence. The word tabernacle literally means dwelling place. And it means to settle down or abide. God didn't just come to visit them. He wanted to move in. He wanted to live among them. Sanctuary means a place set apart, a holy place where God could still remain even though sin had entered the world. And although humanity failed in the garden, God designed and empowered by his Holy Spirit those to build a place where he could still remain with us. It was holy because of God's presence. God was the source of the people's holiness. God invited humanity into that space of creativity so that he could dwell among us regardless of sin. He invites us to be a part of the redemption story by breathing his spirit into us, into us fallen humanity so that we could create space for him. Yet still Israel goes back and rebels 
And years later, in 1 Kings, we read about Solomon constructing this temple. It's very interesting the language that is used in 1 Kings when it comes to constructing this temple, which would be this permanent place for God's presence to dwell. Whereas it was portable before, this was going to be a permanent place. And the language that we see in comparison to Exodus, see Exodus says, and the Lord built, and the Lord told, and the Lord, and the Lord. In 1 Kings, we see, and Solomon built. And, and Solomon's men did this, and Solomon found this. And the language has changed. And it's really important that we understand that because what we see at the end of Solomon's story is actually quite heartbreaking for the temple. There is idol worship. Israel rejects God again, and they fall into worshiping things that are not the creator, instead the created. And so we see how it ends badly with, with this idol worship. Less than 400 years later after Solomon, Ezekiel has a vision of God's presence literally leaving the temple. It's, it's a scary image when you think about it. God's literally cannot dwell there anymore because there is idolatry in the temple. The temple has become so polluted with sinfulness that holiness leaves. It's this heartbreaking picture. See, the glorious temple was not able to last without the presence of God. Beautiful buildings without the presence of God are susceptible to the destruction by the enemy. The temple became a tomb because the breath of life, the presence of God left. See, this wasn't just unfortunate in the sense that God wasn't dwelling anymore, but when it came to Israel's identity, this meant a lot. See, the presence of God distinguished the Israelites as God's people. When the temple of Jerusalem fell, their identity as his crumbled. And we see the destruction of the temple by the Babylonians because it could not stand without the presence of God. Then we have this second temple era, which is basically where we find in Ezra and Haggai this reconstruction of the temple. And exiles were able to return, and under Persian rule, they were permitted to rebuild the temple. However, it's not the same. It's not the same opulence that it once was. It's not the same magnificence that it was in Solomon's day. And the people actually grow weary of rebuilding, that they instead go and see to their own homes instead. And isn't that an interesting thought? They got weary of rebuilding. They got weary of rebuilding a space for the Holy Spirit. They got weary of rebuilding a space for God's presence to dwell. And so they went and tended to their own homes. The only problem is that once you've tended to your own homes, you become comfortable in your own home, in your own home and forget the house of the Lord. You forget the dwelling place of God. And it isn't until Haggai comes in and urges them to finish the temple because God has promised that his glory will come and fill the temple again. But he leaves the time of this event as unspecified in the near future. And the glory of God does not return into the temple until Jesus enters through its gates 400 years later. The temple of God in Christ. The presence of God does not return until Jesus walks through its gates. And in Mark 13, we see Jesus declare as he's leaving the temple that judgment is coming for those who reject the presence of God. Literally, the presence of God was walking through the temple and they still rejected. Matthew 1 
verse 20 to 23, we see why this is so significant. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had done, had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The presence of God walked through the temple and the people of the temple yet again rejected the presence of God. Matthew 28 We see this mission that Christ gives his disciples in Galilee. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then he ascends into heaven. And it's like, wait, you just said you were going to be with us forever, yet you're gone. And there's this like moment of... Well, you're gone. Like, what do we do? What do we do with that? The temple no longer was where the presence of God resided and Christ, who was the presence of God here on earth, had now ascended to heaven. Yet God promised his people that he would be with, him, with them always. All this needed to happen so that the Holy Spirit would not only dwell among us, but because the blood of Jesus, the divide between our sinfulness and his holiness, the divide between the, in the temple of the holies of holies and where the high priest was, that divide was now broken, which meant because the perfect sacrifice had been made, no temple sacrifices could even come close to letting us experience the presence of God within us. The temple of God in us. That is where the temple of God, everyone's looking, where's this temple? It's in us now. The Holy Spirit has always been with God's people, but it was after Christ's ascension and upon the day of Pentecost that he's now in his people. He dwells, he abides, resides, moves in, occupies, sets up home and takes up residence in you and me in the ones who have let Jesus come in to separate the divide between our sinfulness and his holiness. Now the world is never without God because God, the Holy Spirit, has moved in. If you are in your community, God, the Holy Spirit, is in your community. you got to understand the presence of God is everywhere now. The Holy Spirit is everywhere where there is a believer that has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of the promise of God to all those who are now called his people in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit in you is God's promise true. That's who the Holy Spirit is. He's God's promise true in our lives that he would yet again dwell amongst us. But beyond all that, I love how God always goes above and beyond, now dwells in us. The Holy Spirit, God is in us. God is in us. That is an incredible thing, church. You've got to understand what that actually means. And to fully understand that, you need to understand the name of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. Have we forgotten that he is holy? In seeking his gifts, in seeking his power, have we forgot that he is holy? 
Do you know that what the temple did? It reminded the people of Israel about the awe of the presence of God, about the holiness of God. Why do I share these details about tabernacles and temples? When you read the Old Testament text, you see what is required of Israel to have God's presence remain and dwell among them in their sinfulness. Holiness and sinfulness are separate from each other, yet because of the blood of Jesus, holiness now longer separates us from God's holiness. Sinfulness no longer separates us from God's holiness. you got to understand what this really means, church. We get the holiness of God in us. That is a big deal. His name is the Holy Spirit. The dividing wall between God's holiness and our sinfulness is gone when we rest in the salvation of Jesus Christ. That we get access to the holy of holies. In our every step, in our every breath, we get access to his holiness. When you understand that, you start realizing what you carry into this world. And you should start looking at yourself a little bit clearer, knowing that you carry the holiest of holies. The one who created your very life is abiding in you, made room in you, dwells within you. Your, his home is your being, is our being, not only individually, but we see through scripture that he dwells in us individually and as the church corporately. What a move. What a move. How, how to mess up the enemy, hey? You are not in this by yourself. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, in spe- Paul speaking to the Corinthian church of immorality, he says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. You're not in this by yourself anymore, church. We don't have to stare at our sinfulness in isolation. We get to stare at our sinfulness with the Holy of Holies by our side in us, actually being able to overcome that. It's His holiness that overcomes our sinfulness and that is accessible in us because we've been saved by Christ and we've been filled by His Spirit. You are not in this by yourself. You are not only a child of God, but you're now a carrier of God. You're literally carrying God into this world. The Holy Spirit in you is you carrying God into this world. Therefore, live a life that carries the holiness of God. The Holy Spirit is holy. When we fully embrace His name again, not just for His gifts, not just for His power, those things come when we understand fully His nature. Those things are beautiful, but you got to not forget His name, the Holy Spirit. How can the holy, awesome God live inside us, sinful humans, because of the righteousness needed to enter the holy place that was never going to be attainable by us? So we literally have the high priest, Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 22, talks about Jesus Christ, our high priest. He's the one that goes before us into the holy of holies so that we can have access to the glory of God. What we learn about the Holy Spirit is that God is holy. We must remember his holiness. That holiness has come to invade our lives, to set up in our lives, to start moving some furniture around, to start getting rid of some trash, to start bringing in some life again. We literally are the temple of the Holy Spirit, church. God in us. Ephesians 2.22 verse Two verse 21 to 22 says Christ himself the chief cornerstone in him the whole building is joined together and rises up to become a holy temple in the Lord 
And in him, you, you being a plural word, two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Not only are you the dwelling place of God, but we, the church, are the temple of God with Christ as our cornerstone. The Holy Spirit is in us and in us. The Holy Spirit is God, not some ambience, not some force, not something that makes our worship better, but he's worthy of our worship. He's not a genie in a lamp. He's not some superpower, although he is super powerful. How we understand and speak of the Holy Spirit is just as that, holy. He is holy, church. Have we become so familiar with the term Holy Spirit that we have forgotten the person of the Holy Spirit and call him by his name? His holiness was something that was constantly revered and honored. Have we in our sinfulness disregarded his holiness? Because disregard for his holiness is disregard for Christ's sacrifice. Christ didn't remove the holiness of God. Christ's sacrifice on the cross didn't diminish God's holiness. It didn't say, ah, oh, the holiness of God is lesser now, so don't worry. Just do whatever you want. No, Christ just became our high priest that we could, through his blood, actually enter into the holies of holies and have the holies of holies enter us Spirit of God is holy. The Holy Spirit is God. It is because of the work of Christ that we are able to be a home for the presence of God. We spend a lot of time speaking about the gifts of the Spirit and speaking about the power of the Holy Spirit, and we should. But let's not forsake speaking about the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is one is, that is worthy of our worship. Yet how hard is it to say we worship you, Holy Spirit? Have we fallen out of practice of true worship of the triune God by forgetting that the Holy Spirit is worthy of our worship? Our response, when we understand the holy nature of God living inside us by His Spirit should be one of worship, one of repentance from sinfulness from the inside out. Our response to the Holy Spirit should be to rid ourselves of selfish ambition when it comes to what His holy presence should look like. Our response to the Holy Spirit should be one of surrender, knowing that He's the one that created. He's the one that breathed life into us. That He does not serve us, that we serve and worship Him. And through that, by His grace, He empowers us to go into this world, to build his kingdom. When we approach the Holy Spirit by glorifying and worship him, we invite him to dwell in us. Our lives should be transformed into greater holiness as believers, as a church full of the Holy Spirit. I leave you with this church. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son and with the Father and the Son is worship and glorified. 
We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.